I fell asleep on the floor today. You know, you really could have pulled off a prank because you were, like, choking on all of your lunch earlier, right when I was leaving. And then I was gone for a few hours, and I told you. <laughs> Just come back and I'm dead. I told you you're not allowed to choke and die. So that would have been uh, a full circle moment. Show starts in three, two, one. crush i'm emily salisbury and i'm jacob salisbury and we're married and we like to watch films and also tv so that's what we're gonna do welcome back to our rings of power series this episode is for five and six yes we're getting close to the end of the season i know we're already halfway through yes and we're going to be three quarters of the way through by the end of this it feels weird because like this show has set up so many characters and I don't know what point we're going to wrap up with them at the end of the season. So I'm and, uh, curious to see where this goes. I feel like we've just barely begun. Because we're still introducing new people. Yeah, <laughs> as of As of, like, episode three. I, part of me wonders, like, if you are somebody who is more familiar with Tolkien more, if you would feel more like, okay, let's get on with it. Or if you'd be like, okay, I know where this is going. Yeah, well... The thing about this series is that it's actually made me want to dive into Tolkien's lore more and more, because I've just been watching a bunch of Nerd of the Ring videos on Middle-earth and the history and the characters, but yeah. Tom Bombadil's weird. Yeah, a lot of them are weird. And honestly, they could have him in this series. Yeah. He's kind of just this immortal being. He's just around. He's around. We don't know, we don't know what he is. Yeah, I think, I think this series has been interesting because there's a lot of allusion to the Lord of the Rings trilogy for, you know, obvious contextual reasons, but there's a lot of places where I think if you, like me, are not quite as well versed in, like, the deep Tolkien lore, you probably aren't catching on to some things. And even if you have, like, little hints of it, you're probably like, is this going to be this character that shows up? Or are we doing a totally different character? Because the other thing is, like, we're introducing other characters that we haven't seen before. So, you know, the Harfoots. I don't think there have been named characters for the Harfoots before. So we have to fill in all of these places. So it might be that there is a character group or a general person that someone represents, but whether or not we actually know that in context of an episode is really hard to figure out. They've been, I think they've been doing a good job of like just dropping things along the way to kind of lead us through this. It's been interesting learning more about the lore of Middle Earth and like comparing it to the show because there are, I'm noticing now that there are a lot of differences. Yeah. Because, mainly because they've, like we said, compress the timeline. Mm -hmm. So I feel like some of them are necessary, but 
don't know. We still don't know anything, know much about the stranger. I, I think I still have my suspicions about some of the characters, but we'll see where they go. But before we get too deep on predictions, what's been going on in our lives? Um, what have you been up to? Busy. <laughs> Same. <laughs> this week has been a nightmare. So so busy that I can't even conjure a single thing to say in terms of what I've been doing. Because it's mostly been working. And not to say that that's a bad thing, because I am fortunate enough that I do enjoy my, my jobs. But, you know, it just gets tiring. I'm not somebody that has a ton of energy to give every day. I'm very introverted. And so, you know, if I'm around people that I like, it's easier to kind of conserve that energy. But even then, by the end of the day, I just want to come home and like hop on my Switch and play Animal Crossing or read a book because I just need to not be around people. <laughs> recharge a little bit. Recharge. And I'm sure you've been feeling kind of similar. Although you are, I feel like you're better with coping with the lack of people energy. Like, like not being around people? Like, no, I feel like when, when I'm getting low on energy to interact with people, it affects how willing I am to interact with them at length. Like, for instance, when I'm at my job at the coffee shop and... I am feeling low energy, I will be less interactive with people. And I feel like that's not necessarily the case with you as uh, much. Yeah, I kind of just push through it until yeah. the end of the day. <laughs> Which might be why you take so many naps, come to think of maybe it. Maybe that's my brain just telling me to stop. Yeah, maybe you need to set boundaries for yourself. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Things to think about. Things to think about. Much, much to think about. But all the big events that I had this week went really well, so I'm happy yeah. about that. This was a good week. Very busy, though. Good so. week. Busy week. Uh, you got a tattoo, though. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot. <laughs> I got a tattoo. Uh, to ring in spooky season, I found an, a wonderful artist in Portland who does sort of a fine line style. And I got a little over-the-garden-wall tattoo of Jason Funderburker, the frog, wearing a little witch hat uh, on my ankle. And he's very cute and brings me a lot of joy. He's pretty great. So If you're wearing boots, he kind of just peeks out of them. Yeah. He's, like, perfectly positioned so that if I'm wearing shoes that are short, then he's, like, just hanging out. But if I wear boots, he kind of, like, is framed by the boots, but... I won't be able to wear the boots for a little bit because while he's healing, I need to make sure he's not like rubbing against anything. But uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. I did. Do we want to like apologize for our our schedule kind of being a little funky? Yeah. So with with that, our we've decided to move our release dates to Fridays to better accommodate our life schedules. Yeah. Because we thought. Initially, going out that Wednesdays would be fine, but we're discovering now that it would be better for us and better for you to have a consistent schedule. So please excuse the erratic episode upload these past couple ones. We yeah. should be back on track, though. Thankfully, I think at this point, most of you listening are friends and people that we know pretty well. So yeah, we're figuring it out. We're also still figuring out how to record these episodes the best way. Cause yes. 
We have a new cord for our microphone because our cat ate our old one, and that's why the audio was so bad, I think. Yes. Yeah, so Suki decided to bite the cord for our microphone, uh, which has kind of caused a delay for our most recent episode, which will have dropped by now. But for the for the Dune review, that was a little bit of a struggle. I know. It was so hard because it was a good episode and I didn't want to lose everything or like re-record the whole review because that's not fresh. No, and we don't really have time. No. Like when we when we sit down to record, that's when we have the time to record. So we're sorry that the episode came out late. I think that's pretty much everything for life update wise. Yeah. Should we get into our predictions for where this series is going? Yeah. Do so do we want do you want me to give you a little recap of the Give me a short recap of three episodes. and four. Okay. So I'll try to keep it really concise. So episode three Galadriel and Halbrand get to Numenor. Stuff happens. Galadriel figures out, hey, this symbol that Sauron has been using is not just an emblem, it is a map. Things are going down in the Southlands, she finds out. Halbrand turns out to be the prodigal prince of the Southlands, the would-be king, and so he is abusing his former title I guess. He is trying to gain power and influence in Numenor. He wants to start over there, and so he has been running around causing mischief. For the Harfoots, we check in with them, and they are about to leave on their migration. They do this, like, little ceremony, I guess, where they mention all the people that they've left behind and lost. Due to bees. On their travels. We find out that Poppy has lost her entire gosh darn family, uh, which is super sad. And then the stranger shows up and ruins everything. And they almost kick Nori out of the group. And then they're like, well... Just go to the back. Just go to the back. Which means they'll probably end up falling behind. There's also the storyline with Arondir. He got captured. Uh, and it's now... Serving some time in the orcish pits, digging and doing manual labor with his fellow elf guard. And at the end of that episode, he meets Adar, who is this seemingly disfigured elf who is leader and adored father figure to these orcs. Arondir escapes at the end of that episode, correct? Theo goes to the town to get supplies, and then Arondir ends up rescuing him. He shows up in the nick of time. Right, he has to deliver a message. Yeah. Yes, they let him leave so that he can deliver a message. Episode four, we get to check in with the dwarves. Mithril is revealed as a secret mining operation that is very difficult. Uh, Elrond seems subtly interested. I think he is a good politician who does not want to show his entire hand. And the dwarves are aware of that. But they do convince the dwarves to be involved in the building of the uh, forge that Celebrimbor is trying to build. What else? What else? Galadriel has her talk with the queen. Yeah, Muriel. And they decide to help her. Yeah, they're basically both like, we want what's best for our people. So Galadriel is headed back toward Middle-earth. Yes. With the hopeful assistance of Numenor. And Numenor is going to get destroyed? 
There uh, might be a flood. What? Anything else? I think that's it. I think that's the, the gist. So, prediction-wise, I did have somebody point out to me, Paul Brind, because we also are introduced to Elendil and Isildur, Halbrand may be the king that assists Isildur in the battle against Sauron and then betrays him and is cursed. Ah. So he might be the king of those ghosty guys. Ah. The other theories I think we posited in the uh, previous episode were that he might become the witch king. Um, or at least one of the nine, but if he's the king of these ghosts. Well, I don't know if he is or not, because if I'm remembering what I've been learning about Lord of the Rings lore, Mm -hmm. so the witch king of Angmar, Angmar is, like, to the north? It's, like, above, like, where where the Shire is, it's, like, above and a little bit to the east. Yeah, so that's probably not where he's from. Probably not that. I have heard another theory about Halbrand, though, that he's Sauron. Yeah, I've heard that one, too. Because he's into, like, forging. Yeah. And I don't know if he's trying to, like, get in with the Numenorians to, like, mess with them from the inside. or Yeah. I feel like that would be a little too easy. But... I don't know. It's hard because, like... Maybe it is. Because I think Sauron did have a part in making the making of the rings of power. So I don't know how he fits in at this point. Yeah, we also have Adar to consider. I don't know how he's going to come into play. I don't know who he is. I don't know what his deal is. He is a very mysterious character. We do not get a lot from him. He does not give much whenever he talks to Arondir. He is not aggressive. He seems to care deeply for the orcs and their well-being, which is not something that we've seen before. He's a really good villain? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah, that's the thing. He's obviously working against the best interests of the humans in the Southlands, but we've also seen that the humans in the Southlands are also still fairly loyal to Sauron. So, we'll see. We kind of have, like... There's a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah. I also really want to know who the stranger is. Because he... Also, he does help Nori, so he ends up hitching a ride with them, and Nori's father is injured, so he ends up helping them, which is really great. But, uh, I'm, I'm curious to see where the Harfoots end up. Me too. I don't want them to die. Well, I mean, some of them are gonna. <sighs> I feel like that's how the wandering thing works. Yeah, I guess so think that's their philosophy which like seems harsh on the outside but like if you're a nomadic people you can't afford to lose the entire group when you're when you're just a bunch of little guys and you know i think it's good to show flaws uh in in a storyline like that but well do you want to watch yeah let's get into this and we will see you after the break see you then Hello, and welcome to the intermission. Welcome, because this is a Rings of Power episode, we're going to both be gracing your ears with our intermission announcements. So, for now, just some reminders. 
If you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cinema Crush Pod. That's at Cinema Crush Pod, all one word. We'll be posting updates there and sharing things that we love. If you have questions or feedback, you can tweet at us, you can DM us, comment on posts, or respond to stories that we put out. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your love letters. We plan on publishing episodes bi-weekly. So look for us again in two weeks with a new Rings of Power episode. And those will be on Fridays now. Yes, look for them on Fridays. We really appreciate you for listening and giving our podcast a chance. If you know someone that would like it, please share with them and get the word out. That's all the announcements that we have for this episode. So let's get you back to the podcast for our review and reflection on Rings of Power episodes five and six. And now, on, on, on with the show. Okay. <laughs> we did it at the same time. Are you happy? Yeah. <sighs> Welcome back. Welcome back. We just uh, speed ran episodes five and six, and we're back to talk to you. A lot happened. And I actually took notes this time. Wow. Amazing. Okay, do we want to start off and just kind of recap what happens? In basic, episode five, we have Harfoots with the stranger. Continued antics. He defends them from some wolves. He accidentally hurts Nori. There's a lovely Harfoot song in the beginning. Oh my gosh. I thought we've been listening to it because it's on Spotify. I thought that Nori was singing it, but it's actually Poppy, which is really sweet and also really sad because it's her, like, dad's song that he used to sing. But it's a really sweet song. If you haven't heard it, it's very, like, peak Tolkien with a little bit of modern flavor. Yeah. It's very nice. I will say, the the one thing I cannot complain about in this series is the music. No, yeah, the music has been great. It's fantastic. We haven't really talked about it that much yet, but Bear McCreary is really doing us a lot of justice, and I'm kind of assuming that he's not the one writing the lyrical songs. No, but like all the instrumental stuff is fantastic. So good. I love listening Um, to it. I love a broad, sweeping fantasy soundtrack. Also, with the Harfoots, we have some spooky people, some spooky moon people that are coming for the stranger. Yeah, I don't know what's up with those guys. I don't really know. We're just kind of scratching the surface of that storyline, and I have a feeling we're going to be seeing more of it in the next two episodes. But then we have Numenor. The main thing that happens there in episode five is that there's continued sort of contempt for... Uh, the choice to go to Middle-earth and people are trying to resist. Uh, Isildur is really trying to get over there because apparently that's where the real Numenor is. Um, And Elendil continues to be a cool dude, I guess. There's some, like, political spice in there attempting to forge some connections with Middle-earth. Uh, in order to have some increased power for Numenor, at, at least according to uh, Queen Regent Muriel's advisor. Farazon? Yeah, I think so. I keep wanting to call him Famazon. No. Because Amazon. And then there's the stuff with Durin and Elrond. Yes. They have the, little, the awkward dinner with the guy yes. elf. 
So I feel like this is, has been the most predictable storyline for me because we we find out that King Gilglad was planning to try to convince the dwarves to let them access the Mithril all along because there's this uh, fable about the Valar use their power to imbue a tree with the light of a Silmaril and so the veins of Mithril in the mountain are the roots of this tree and therefore the light of the Silmaril still existing in Middle-earth. And the elves want to access it in order to maintain their immortality. They they talk about the Silmarils in some of the earlier episodes, Kilbrimbor does. Yeah. Because there's three Silmarils in, or I guess, in the world. Yeah. And at some point, I think Morgoth had them. Had all three, like, in, yeah, in a like, crown. You like to stare at them. Because they're beautiful. They're beautiful. And he could never be beautiful. <laughs> and he got mad. Yeah. So he had to have them, and they made him go crazy. Yeah. But I think they're lost at this point? Yeah, so that's why the elves are like, our power is fading. Like, the tree that they have in um, Linden is ill. There is this awful fungus growing over it. That is kind of alluded to in the opening of the show. Yeah. Because um, we have this, like, motif of, like, sand, and it's kind of like the... We haven't really talked about it. The opening the opening looks very much like when you put sand on like a, a, vibrating, a vibrating surface, like, yeah. like like a speaker or something, and it vibrates around and makes shapes. I think that's the idea that they're going for. Yeah, the frequency makes different patterns. Yeah. But you kind of get like there's there's allusions to the rings, um, but there there's also allusions to this uh, darkness infiltrating the light. And so we get this imagery again with this uh ancient tree being infiltrated in Linden and the implication that that is happening all over the place because we see it with the Harfoots as well. Um, when they're traveling through this forest, it is barren and sick and it has wolves living in it and it's just a bad place to be. That's kind of the theme that we get throughout, but it's kind of happening all over the place. In Linden, Elrond chooses not to break his oath which I'm... Good for him. You know, good for him. I mean, it's not like the elves don't already know everything. Yeah, well, and it surprised me because he did he did give Celebrimbor the mithril, and who's to say that Celebrimbor is not lying about not telling Gilgalad about it, you know? So I, I feel like the implication is that Elrond has not broken his oath, but I feel like he has. He kind of has, because, like, I didn't expect him to be pulled out at all. No. And then Celebrimbor handed it back to him, and I was like, hold on. You swore an oath not to tell anyone about this, and you gave it to Celebrimbor. You broke your oath, right? Like, that seems... Like, that seals the deal. Like, yeah, they absolutely have lethal. Yeah. And the fact that Durin only has the information that the elves suspect that they have Mithril... Like, he's still lying to him. So, I don't know where that's gonna go, but we don't really get much more of it in episode 6, because episode 6 focuses exclusively on the Southlands and Numenor, and their storylines coming together, which totally blows uh, the two timeline thing out of the water, because those would have been the two timelines, and that's not happening anymore. It's basically a big action episode. Yeah. Which I'm okay with, because we've had enough build-up at this point. 
Yeah. But I'm kind of ready for some... I was kind of ready for some action. Right. I will say, I'm really happy that it's not just a big CGI army versus CGI army. It's yeah. very personal. There are horseback riders. There are orcs in costume. And it's like, it's brutal and personal and up close. Yeah. Like, it's like one-on-one, hand-to-hand combat. Right. To that point, Numenor could only bring a few hundred soldiers, so it's not like they're going to have, like, a huge sweeping thousands-of-person army. Right, because they're not established in Middle-earth yet. I think they eventually become the Huron and, like, Minas Tirith. Yeah. Those have yet to be established. I said this while we were watching the show, but I feel like the quick jump from... We're sailing west and then immediately on the ground headed to the Southlands. I feel like we are really compressing the amount of space that they have to travel. I don't know how close the shore is to where they are in the Southlands because... Well, so what I picked up from their like map meeting was that they were going to the south, like the southern port. Okay. And then traveling up the river. Okay. And then it's a day's ride from there. Okay. Okay. So it's it's doable within the time frame that they are working with. Because I, I was like, I was trying to figure out how they got there so fast. It's the same river in Lord of the Rings that Aragorn brings the ghosts with him on the yeah, boats. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So... They're just coming at it from the other end. I guess that makes sense then. Um. Yeah, and... Adar is not Sauron. Adar claims to have killed Sauron. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. Because after the battle, they capture him and try to get information out of him. I do like the the lore drop of the corrupted elves, though, because that's kind of yeah. what I figured he was. Yeah. And dropping the Uruk name of where, like, the origins of that word. Right. So, very, very into that. I think if I'm not... I might be mistaken, but... So, orcs are different than orcs. Tolkien kind of uses goblins and orcs interchangeably. But, I like I like to think that goblins are kind of a, their own thing. Yeah. Some kind of corrupted being, and, like, orcs are, like, the corrupted elves. I think orcs are supposed to be, like, the spawn of elves and goblins. I suppose. It sounds like, it seems like the orcs in this are the offspring of... Adar. So maybe... I don't know if that's... he. I don't know if he means that literally or not. I feel like he does. At the very least... Because, like, with an immortal being an elf, like, you'd have enough time to have a, an army of children. I mean, I think at the very least, he is the mad scientist creating them. Because we've seen that you can create... In, in Two Towers, they create Urukai from the earth from the corrupted earth so i think that at the very least he was doing something like that yeah. i actually that's, don't that's know if that's how they're created in the book i don't think it i don't is. think it is i think that was a movie i think that was a nasty movie practical thing it was cool looking <laughs> yeah you know in the same way though perhaps he was merely involved in creating them and so in in that way they are his offspring I think we might get more of that. Uh, you know, if anyone survives in the Southlands, 
Yeah, so the end of the battle, they're like celebrating, they captured the orcs, we captured Adar. And then, surprise, you don't have secret weapon. It's the other guy, the oh, old yeah. man. Yeah, the Turn in the key, and I was not prepared for that chain of events. No. I, was, I was like, oh, unleash the water to like drown the village? Yeah. No. No. No, 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 no. Too, thinking too small there. Uh, I th I thought the pits they were digging were to just to hide from the sun, but like that's kind of impractical. No, it's a a funnel to go into what I assume is going to be Mount Doom. It has to be because like they're in Mordor or where Mordor will be. They are using the volcano's ash to block out the light, which I assume was their plan to like live in that area. Yeah. Okay, but here's the thing. I just listened to... So, there's another podcast called Ologies. I'm going to name drop them here, purely for the context of this situation. I just listened to an episode. I think it was a geology episode. Um, so, the host was talking to a geologist. And one of the questions she likes to ask people that she has on the, on the podcast is, like, what's one, like, flim-flam thing that happens like in film or that people spread around that simply isn't true. And one of the things that they were talking about was like in a movie like Jurassic World 3, where you have volcano going off and you have all of this, what's called pyroclastic flow coming out of the volcano, yeah, which is all, all this all ash, plumes of ash all of and this smoke. material that moves very fast. It's very hot and very toxic. And so... You heard of Pompeii? <laughs> I feel like I know Middle Earth is fantasy. It's not real. But I think that you need to not have your entire village drowned in pyroclastic material if you're going to tell me later that they're going to be alive. Because they're not. They're simply going to die. Nicolajos dead. This is a Pompeii situation. These people are not surviving. So that's the one thing where me, with my, my science brain, was like, that's... They're dead. They're all dead. I don't care what you're going to tell no, me. It's way too close. It should have been pushed back further. Yeah. Which, you know, it's still to reach them, but you could have shown the clouds coming and then cut the episode there. Yeah, you don't have to have them absolutely buried in it. You could figure out some way to say, oh, they escaped it, but just barely, you know? But nitpicky <laughs> science things. Other nitpicky things, I know a lot of people have pointed this out. Why did you give Muriel sleeves with a pattern printed on them instead of scale mail? Just regular, <laughs> like just make her another set. I don't, I don't understand. No, I, I saw that constant when I saw people pointing out. All the other soldiers have like actual texture to their underclothes, and like she's the only one who has a printed pattern. The only thing I can that think... I can see in the foreground anyway, like for background characters, I'm less concerned about that because like, you know, you gotta dress an army of people, and they're not gonna be up close to the camera. Like, who cares? Yeah. But for if you're gonna have one of your main characters on screen, they have to have the best costume. Right. The only thing I can think of is if they did not intend to do shots that would have that part of her arm exposed. So they just gave her something in case you just caught, like, the edge of it. But then they actually ended up filming scenes that included that, and so they had to roll with it because you can't really 
reshoot. That's the only thing I can think of. Because also, otherwise it doesn't make any sense. Also, their armor is designed to look like scale mail, but it is just a hard shell with scales glued on top of it. Which is fine, because, like, you know, it's a sea people, but, like... That's I feel like it, I feel like it looks kind of weird. I don't think it's intended to actually be scale mail. No, it's not. I think that's just a design motif. I think it is, but... I'm more concerned about... And I'm, like, again, realism... It's fantasy, but whatever. I'm going to talk about it. It's fantasy, but, like, you should be able to move in your armor. Here's the thing. If it looked cooler, I'd be okay with it. They can't move in that armor. No. Galadriel 100% cannot bend at the waist in the armor that she's wearing. No. That doesn't make any sense to me. It comes all the way down her torso. If it were ceremonial armor, maybe. But even then, like, you need... You need... I don't really know what the thought was behind that. Like, get, make it segmented. She's got a segmented part at the collar. I don't understand why you can't repeat that motif on the torso. Well, and her her arms are pretty okay. Like, she has, like, different segments for her, like, arm pieces. Yeah, there's parts of, there's parts of that armor. This is the armor that they used for a lot of the promo. It's very cool looking. Don't get me wrong. Um, it's very pretty. Yeah. I like the shape of it. I like the flow of the design. I just think it needs to make sense practically. There's a lot of places in this where, like, all of the armor that the Sea Guard of Luminar wears is this, like, ivory-colored, like you said, it, it has, like, a scale pattern to it. You're giving your female soldiers armor that has a shape molded to a female form. It's boob armor. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. To me, why you would bother making that differentiation while designing armor. It well, just it's it's odd to me because like the Numenorian female armor is so form fitting that yeah. like you can really see that it's the yeah, boob armor. But like Galadriel's is also form fitted, but it's not But it's not. It's, and that's okay. It's it's form fitted to a female form, but it's domed like a breastplate should be. Yes. Because you're supposed to have space between your chest and your armor so that when you get hit... It's... You don't have the impact directly impacting you. There's a buffer. And that's not the case with this armor. I'd be okay with it if it were shaped more like that. But it's not. And I don't really understand that choice because I don't really feel like we've had any other armor designed like that in this show. It seems like a weird anomaly to me. Yeah. It's just a design choice where I'm like, I wish I knew why... They did that, and I just don't know. I don't like it very much. Uh, <laughs> also, this is, I think this is the first time I've seen female warriors in Numenor. Because they weren't, there weren't any on the boat in the previous episode, were there? I don't remember. I think it was all guys, like, when they were doing their training. I don't remember. I don't remember. I but, like, this, I feel like I would have noticed it before if there had been. The Sea Guard before, when they were training, none of them were wearing, like, any sort of distinctly different armor. So maybe not, they're yeah, wearing and you just didn't notice. Maybe. It, it doesn't feel like a society where they would limit women from becoming soldiers, at least based on, like, the, I don't know. Yeah, but if they're the people that become the people of Rohan, then I feel like, like, in Lord of the Rings, like, that's a big plotline for AOL. AOL? What's her name? She is not an instant messaging service. What's her name? I don't know. The girl character. The, <laughs> the one the girl. One, the one of, other than the one of three. Aon. Aon. That was close. Her brother is Aomer. 
that's no don't do that don't name your kids <laughs> like that they're not they're cousins i know don't name your kids like that <laughs> yeah she's not allowed to be a soldier i think in this situation though they're asking anyone who's willing to be they're, they don't have guess, like yeah, a standing army i guess whoever's willing to follow an elf in the battle yeah i'm assuming that like they're not taking people who don't know what they're doing out there. Like, they've given them at least no, some basic training. No, they're clearly trained. And that's a high a high quality enough training. But speaking of fighting, because you commented on it, I wanted to have this discussion because something that I feel like we often talk about when there is combat in a show or a movie is how realistic that would be because I know both of us are interested in how combat is portrayed both in a visually aesthetically pleasing way and in a way that makes sense but also in a way that is accurate to how you would actually perform maneuvers right so I want to know because there were a couple of maneuvers whenever Galadriel was doing the training fighting with the um sea guard kids where do you weigh realism over it looks cool because she did a cool block with her sword. So realism versus choreography is a kind of a big contender for like films and making your fights exciting. So choreography being like how you portray that in camera mm-hmm. uh, and make it interesting to look at realism being like, how would this actually work if this were real combat? And you have to have a balance of that. Cause like I am going to give leeway to a TV show for combat. I always will, because real sword fights are often very short. Yeah. There's usually not much to them. If you've ever seen a sparring match between, like, fencing match... Yeah. Like, at the Olympics, when they do the fencing competitions, like, those matches from beginning of the fight to when someone gets touched, that's a kill. Mm-hmm. That's how fast it, they usually are. So, whenever I'm looking at combat in film... I want it to be, you know, obviously longer than six seconds, unless it's the cool Obi-Wan Darth Maul fight from Rebels, which is one of the best lightsaber fights of all time. Don't get him started. Fight me. Don't get him started. It's the best. I told you not to. Uh, I'll bring it up some other time. But (laughs) in this, it's a mixed bag for me, because there are moments where I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is really good. Because, like, some of the horseback fighting, they're doing these maneuvers where they're like, getting to the side of their saddle to avoid being hit from the side. Yeah. And so they can, like, reach down and, like, you know, lop their heads off. I, to that point, not to interrupt you, I'm so curious if you looked at those saddle designs, if they're designed to do that. Because you have, I'm sure you have to design a saddle like that without strangling your horse. I'm sure you do. It has to be a specific I, I don't know anything about saddle design, so I, I have not done the research for that. I'm just mainly looking at technique overall it's important to me and it makes it more believable when you base it in realism yeah so some like the idea of like going off to the side and like maneuvering around your horse like that's the advantage of the horse is you have the speed to do things like that yeah galadriel like flips herself like upside down on the side of her horse in this weird angle which might be because she can't bend her waist in her armor. I think that might be why. <laughs> I'm, just real- Actually, I'm just realizing now. now. That you say that. It's probably out of necessity. Yeah. Which, again, that makes that armor seem even more impractical. Because if she's on horseback, she's got to be so uncomfortable in that. 
Like, I get that that's probably not armor that she, like, would have picked, because it's, like, from Numenor. It's not, like, it's probably some that they had. But you could do better. But there's the other scene where she's sparring with the the kids. The kids. The kids training. <sighs> there's moments in it where I could see it being a fun sparring match, but overall, I have, I'm not that happy with how that was choreographed. She, her hair's flying all over the place. Do you know how hard it is to fight with long hair untied? It's hard to do anything That's, with long hair. Anything. Like, she should have at least, like, prepared herself to, like, fight like, like that. I get she's an elf. That doesn't excuse being uncomfortable. <laughs> I would have loved, uh, you know, with, like, like long uh, tunics or dresses to, like, gird your loins. She did belt it. Did she? Yeah. Okay, I guess I missed she that. She tucked it up in her belt. Alright, I guess I missed that then. Yeah. Never mind. I'll so take she it. could throw her knee out if she needed I'll to. I'll resign that point yeah. then. But yes, I noticed if that you're... specifically. Okay, I missed it. I must have looked away. Uh, yeah, if you're going to fight in a long dress, you should, you should hike, do you should hike it up it. a little bit so uh-huh. you don't step on it. You can absolutely fight in skirts. Oh, you can. Just not if they're going to trip say, you. Like, yeah, you can't have them be a... A hindrance. Yeah. And it was long enough where I'm like, oh, she should pull that up. <laughs> yeah. But I'll resign that point since you, I will believe you. I noticed it. I do agree about the hair, though. Yeah, the hair should have been pulled and at I least just... tied back. The thing is, here's the thing. Also, never do spins. Don't ever do a spin with it your sword. Look, it does look cool. It doesn't. You're going to get stabbed. She's fighting like four people at once, though. Yeah, that doesn't go well for people. <laughs> She's an out. She has better senses. It's fine. it's fine. Um. She does use the environment to her advantage, like with the net, so that was cool. So, I think this far into the series, Galadriel is probably the most contentious character for me. And I think that's just because she has, like, we know her. She's, like, the one character, other than Elrond, who I will get to in a moment. We know her enough to be, like, she wasn't really ever intended to be a commander of an army and I feel like you could have you could have painted her in a way that made me feel like that was realistic and I want that I want really cool warrior women but Galadriel does not give me a believable commander of an army no she it's things like the hair where I'm like I think the writers are failing her on this part because you need you need to you need to put details like that in there where she's obviously being thoughtful about these things. When she goes into battle and she braids her hair. Love it. That's great. Although you're not wearing a helmet, somebody could grab that braid. Or gauntlets. She's not wearing gauntlets. <laughs> she's fighting with a sword. Not wearing gauntlets, you could get your fingers chopped off. They're they're just these little details that like I'm enjoying the show, but they're things that I'm I'm prone to be nitpicky about. Elrond is such a chill dude <laughs> later on in Lord of the Rings. And seeing him as this, like, political figure, it, like, makes sense to me. And I can see, like, the younger ambition in him. But I'm having a hard time making the connection between this Elrond, the Elrond that fights with Isildur, and the Elrond that we see in Lord of the Rings. 
I know that's a lot of time that passes. I think he has time to develop. I don't... I think I'm okay with where he's at right now. In being in the position he's in. Yeah. And making mistakes. Galadriel, I can also see points where they're trying to connect her to her later self. Because she is... in, In Lord of the Rings, she is also tainted by the darkness. And... That is something that they're setting up here. But I feel almost like they're going too far. Too far. They're very much like you you mentioned it, but the framing on the scene where she is interrogating Adar is at like this weird I don't think it is it a Dutch angle it's technically? A, I think it's a Dutch angle. Galadriel is put on the lower end of the angle, and I think that's intentional to show how much deeper she is into this revenge quest and like how how she is actually on the lower end of the scale compared to Adar because he just wants to protect his people and she wants to kill all of them like it's totally this reversal of roles that I think is really interesting it's a very interesting scene I think it really made Adar a really cool character for me and is that scene because we, we do sympathize with the orcs yeah like, Galadriel said, like, your kind is a mistake. Like, how is that supposed to make you feel? Yeah. Like, like there's no empathy. Like, like what choice do, the, do they have besides yeah. to fight everyone? Yeah, you're not giving them any choice. And If they can't have a place to live. Part of me is also like, okay, but, like, I think he kind of knows he's already won at that point, so he's willing to give over whatever information because he knows that in just a little while, they're going to win. So in that specific scene, they do this interesting reversal, but it's not like he's on a higher ground morally. But that's what that that's what that framing told me. No, but it does give you sympathy. Yeah, but I thought it was just an interesting use of the camera angle. It is a, it's a very intentional use and it was very well done. Good job. There are a lot of really pretty shots in this show. Mm-hmm. Just just gonna say that. Great shots, great music, good visuals. There's just, it's it's just details. It's details. That... And details and pacing. I feel like we talked about it with some of the dialogue, with, especially with Galadriel's storyline. I think hers is suffering the most from padding runtime. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of conversations that are kind of just repeat information. Yeah. I really think you could cut this hour-long episode format down to like 40 minutes an episode and it would still be good. I would really love, though, to spend more time with the Harfoots. I feel like they're kind of getting the short end of the stick just carrying the stranger plotline. And I would really love to get more... No, no, I I think the Harfoots and Durin stuff is the most interesting part of this show. And I don't feel like it's balanced well over the season. I think they're trying too much to fight with Game of Thrones. Yeah. Because it's a lot of, like, the violence and, like, cool battle scenes and stuff that... I know Game of Thrones also has political scenes, obviously, but, like... Well, like, there's something special to Tolkien's work where it's very grounded in characters. Yeah. Like, when we are in Lord of the Rings, like, everything is kind of from the view of the hobbits. Like, when you read The Hobbit, like, you're seeing the world through Bilbo's eyes. Yeah. And when you're reading Lord of the Rings, like, you're kind of seeing things through... 
Sam and Frodo's eyes on their quest, and like Merry and Pippin on theirs. And, like yeah. the world is big and it's kind of scary, but you still have this hope with them. Yeah, and I mean, conversely, this this show is primarily from the point of view of the elves, and it does make the world feel very small. Like they have such a wide, broad, sweeping perspective that they're often blind to the small details. Yeah. They're not... Do you think Galadriel even knows the Harfoots exist? Absolutely oh, probably not. not. Like, I think that's... I, I mean, that is an interesting sort of reversal, but I think that... I think that Tolkien intentionally yeah. places the well, Hobbits as a lot the center of, point. I think a lot of people in Tolkien's lore don't know that, about Hobbits. Yeah, no, absolutely not. Because they're, they're very localized in one area... And I think I think Bilbo's one of the first hobbits Elrond ever meets. Yeah, and and the Harfoots like are they intentionally hide? So it's not like they're trying to make connections with anybody. I I I would still I would still like to have more scenes with them though, because I feel like the only thing we're getting is like Nori brought the stranger in in here, and he's kind of sketchy. He's kind of sketchy, and we got to get to the the glade. The Glen. Yeah. They're also like they're also a lot further east than I thought. Yeah. On the map, because they're, like, over in the Dead Marshes and, like, out just outside of Mordor. Mm-hmm. So I think they're actually gonna... I think they're gonna collide storylines in the next episode with the Harfoots and Galadriel and all of them. I'm trying to figure out exactly where they're trying to go. Because Nori describes a place that is basically, like, lush with all kinds of crops. So like orchards, root vegetables, because they're foragers. It's a place that they can find a lot of stuff. And I don't, I don't know where exactly that is supposed to be. Like, I don't know where they're going. So I'm curious. I think that, I think, here's my prediction. I think they're talking about somewhere in what will be Mordor. Like as it is now, it's green and lush, but you know, once this volcano goes off, that's all. Yeah, it's all gone. Out the window. Yeah. I just don't know what they're going to find. I think they're going to get up the mountain and then kaboom, see that in the distance. Yeah. I am curious to see what 7 and 8, episodes 7 and 8. Yeah, because that's, that's the end of season 1. I almost have a feeling that they're going to end Numenor and Southland storyline here. They might, I think they might give an inkling of, like, where they're going to go, but I think that this would be a good place to leave us with that storyline. I almost have a feeling, I, I don't, I don't know, but they, I almost have a feeling that they might give the next episode to the dwarves and the Harfoots and focus on that and then wrap all three of them up to a stopping point in episode eight, but. I think for the dwarf storyline... The cliffhanger finale is going to be they dig too deep with Mithril. Yeah, I think what I expect to happen is Durin has accepted the possibility of talking to his father about helping the elves by giving them the Mithril. Gilglad specifically says we're going, well, is it Gilglad or Celebrimbor? One of the two specifically says we're going to need a large quantity of this in order to outfit every elf with it. So I think you're right. I think we're going to get kind of a a time jump a little bit to where they have opened up the mountain to 
find all of these veins of Mithril. And then unleash whatever lies beneath. Perhaps a Balrog. Oh. Oh, spooky. Spoilers. Well, I would hope you had seen Lord of the Rings before watching this well, show. Well, also the trailer had a Balrog in it, so. Yeah. That kind of yeah, ruined, they 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 ruined it. They have Balrog in that little cutscene. I think we'll get a little bit further with Numenor. Obviously, Galadriel's not gonna die. No, which again, doesn't make sense realistically, but sure, whatever. I'm not exactly sure where they'll go with it, because they need to get out of there, and the orcs need to probably escape somehow. That's probably where Adar was, because Adar escapes. He's probably going to freeze kids. Yeah, Adar was just, like, out. I think the Harfoots will meet up with one of the other storylines, and that's kind of where it will end. And also, the people tracking the stranger will catch up. It surprises me that they introduced that in this episode. I feel like you could have done that in the previous one. Yeah, but, yeah, but they've just left, so if they had done it in the previous one, all, all the Harfoots would have still been there. Yeah, I guess that's true. There's nowhere for them to track. Yeah. I really want to know what that's all about. Who are who are you? Who are you, scary white-haired person? With beautiful eyebrows? I don't know. They have some moon. Like, what What does the moon have to do with all of this? Well, they, have the, they have the constellation on their, like, shield. Yeah, but it has the moon on the other side. And they specifically have the stranger looking up at the moon. Is he a werewolf? No, I don't think so. I think he's a werewolf. He did a cool... Sound wave attack, and then he did some ice, which I think was implied that it healed him. Sure. So he's got like some kind of magic, but like you, like you were telling me before, the Astari don't come to Middle Earth by falling from the sky. No, they kind of just come into the port, and then they're here. They're, yeah, they just arrive. So I don't because they come from the un Undying Lands. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think I called them the Valar in a previous episode. I apologize. I mix up terms a lot, and Tolkien does not really do a lot to help differentiate. Yeah. As as, as evidenced by Sauron, Saruman, Eowyn, Eomer. Uh, he's got a lot of similar names. Tolkien, I love you, but my gosh, you gotta find some different names. Valor and Starry are different enough, but like... Those are fine, but like... I just mix them up. At so. least a different first letter. Oh, the one the one thing. I know I called Gilglad a wine uncle. <laughs> but now that we've gotten the, the confirmation that he is a conniving little weasel, I think the fact that he looks so friendly and like soft and wine uncle-y is kind of perfect casting for him because he seems so harmless, but he's actually like he's up to something. So I, I mean I don't know about perfect casting, but I will leave you with that that thought. I think if you uh, I I like when a character is more than what they seem from the outside. So. I also am curious to that point if he was telling Elrond the truth about oh. Mithril or if he just wants it. I. I don't know. I think there's something going on. But I think where, if if Galadriel has been touched by darkness, I think Gilgalad has been too. 
I don't think he's avoided that because he's been pulling strings. So we'll see where that goes. But yeah, I think that's, I think that's everything. So on to the next episodes, I suppose. Well, we got to rate these ones. Yes. I know my rating, so I'm going to go first. So as a reminder of how my rating system works, it's on a scale of 5 to negative 5, 5 being the best, 0 being the worst, and negative 5 being so bad, it's wonderful. I would give these episodes probably the same as what I gave the last two, a 3.5 out of 5. I think there's enough in it that I'm still enjoying it, but there's also enough critique I have of these episodes specifically in the pacing and some of the choreography and costuming that pulls me out of it that I'm going to keep it at a 3.5. For both. For both. I liked, I don't know, I feel like I liked episode 6 more than I did episode 5. I think I would give episode 5 like a 5 out of 10. And I'd give, I'd give six, like, a seven out of ten. I, I just, I feel like six was a little bit better, but I'm curious to see what our overall ratings are going to be. Yeah, I'm going to average mine out and then see what I end up at. Yeah, I do not remember what I've been rating these, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna figure something out when we get there. The next episode of Rings of Power will be our last one for this season, so, uh, in case you haven't come to the conclusion after that episode we will just go back to our bi-weekly release of our movie reviews so and we'll save me some time editing yes um and hopefully our our schedule will be a little bit more regular again but it has been a lot of fun reviewing these episodes and thinking in depth about them and hearing what other people have to say so i'm having a good time so far I think we'll leave it there for the night. And we'll see you next time. See you then. Thanks again for dropping in, and we hope you've enjoyed the evening as much as we've enjoyed having you here. Till next time... Please drive carefully, and good night now.